0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Tuesday edition. It's the Tuesday. Everything's all out of sorts. I came into the studio. Things are all there's a whole new soundboard in here. I just I'm disoriented. I don't know what's happening. And the snow is coming, and we're all going to be buried in it. Good afternoon. (laughs) <laughs> well we 've been uh, you know looking out the windows all day here now we 're on the the line between Portland and Milwaukee, so where we are is supposed to we 're supposed to get a lot of snow. They said uh different things throughout the day that it was going to start noonish and then it was going to start two ish and now it 's supposed to be five o'clock sharp five o one there's going to be a deluge of uh, of snow i 'm not sure what to believe now, but I have my hot tea here i 've got my coat and gloves handy, the muffler. So uh, Clark and I are going to uh, we're going to power through the program and then we're going to make our way home through whatever happens to (laughs) happens to be there. I have to admit, I'm a little bit skeptical. and I think you are, too, Clark, that it's going to be quite as dramatic as we've been told, at least by the time you and I uh, leave the building, which is right about six o'clock. But we'll we'll see what happens anyway today on the program. And it's good to be back, by the way. Enjoyed a day off on President's Day. Watched the uh, television program Hamilton. No, it wasn't Hamilton. Now, I can't even remember the president's name. Andrew, I can't even remember the show that I, it's like 15 parts, and I watched it most of the day yesterday, and I, it's completely escaped. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. You know, when you get to be 61, you can't really remember. Anyway, today on the program, we're going to talk with Amy Simpson. She's the author of Blessed Are the Unsatisfied. Now She makes a distinction between unsatisfied and dissatisfied. It might be a fine line, but it's an important distinction she makes in her book. Blessed are the unsatisfied finding spiritual freedom in an imperfect world. We're also going to talk in the 5 o'clock hour with Lois Anderson. Uh, she's executive director at Oregon Right to Life. And sadly, we're having another conversation on House Bill 4135. It's, uh, it's not over yet. That bill was passed out last week uh, out of the House and is now over Uh, At the Senate side, um, it's been scheduled for a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee tomorrow, um, 8 a.m., hearing room 343. So they are fast-tracking this thing through the very short legislative session. Lois is going to bring us up to date on that. And, of course, you can go to Oregon Right to Life's website for details on who the committee members are that you should be talking to or emailing or um, communicating with by uh, some means Uh, prior to that hearing and following. We're also going to talk with Carol Ewing. She's a preschool fours uh, lead teacher, and she's the music instructor at Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School in Beaverton. She's been teaching for about 25 years and uh, has uh, been at Pilgrim Lutheran for a number of years. We're going to talk about the school, not only because they're doing an excellent job of uh, of providing Christian education for their students there, but also because they're currently offering a discount for KPDQ listeners. And for those of you who have been thinking about Christian education for your sons, daughters, or perhaps your grandchildren, uh, this is a great opportunity to enjoy a discount and introduce them to uh, an excellent um, institution right here in our community. So we're looking forward to our conversation uh, with her. Well, they're telling us that here in the Portland metro area, we could see three to seven inches of snow earlier than expected. Well, that was the headline earlier in the day. Now it's later than expected, and I'm not quite sure what to expect. We did have snow falling most of the day here till about noon, would you say, Clark, noonish? And then the snow just stopped altogether, and I'm not sure if it's raining or what kind of precipitation there is out there but it doesn't really look like it's so wet that it doesn't look like it's possible for snow to stick. If the temperatures drop, it is wet. It could be a little bit slick, but we don't know. We were told earlier in the day that uh, Portland's second February snow day is coming more quickly than expected. The National Weather Service had predicted here in Portland that uh, the earlier forecast that they had made would need to be revised. Uh, It predicted heavy snow in the Portland metro area in the later afternoon and evening up to noon and early afternoon. Not quite sure what's going to happen now. The new predict came as snow had already accumulated on the ground throughout northwest Oregon, southwest Washington. I know there were some school closures. Some schools actually met and then dismissed the students early anticipating the snowstorm. Um, the accumulation of an inch or two. That's what we were told to expect this morning, depending on the area. And it may be the case where you happen to be. I've seen on Facebook some images of people's uh, homes or uh, offices where there has been something of an accumulation. Uh, But the National Weather Service says once the heavier snow comes in the early afternoon and this evening, we could have an additional two to five inches. And again, I think people are becoming a bit more skeptical about that possibility as the day has worn on. Places like Longview saw the heaviest snow first around noon, uh, we we're being told, with a system moving south, hitting Portland around 2. Seemed a little late to me. And then Salem and Eugene a bit later in the afternoon. We're approaching evening now, and we still haven't seen that accumulation, at least where we are. Um, whether it's uh, closer to 3 to 7, uh, where you are, it's uh, it will be pretty significant accumulation. Again, the National Weather Service is saying pretty uh, significant accumulation. Your best bet is to get what you, uh, what you can uh, done as quickly as possible and then head home. Overall recommendation is that conditions are going to deteriorate during the day. Travel is likely to get more and more complicated. And while the outlook isn't great for trying to get home this afternoon, and again, that's not the case where we are. The heavy snow is good for one thing. The snowpack in the Cascades has been struggling, and this might provide a little oomph uh, for what's needed uh, here in in the state. So there you have it. And uh, we'll keep one eye kind of poised out the window to see what's happening. Well, 100 um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School students are busing 400 miles to Florida's capital today to urge lawmakers to act to prevent a repeat of the massacre that killed 17 of their classmates and faculty last week. The students uh, plan to hold a rally on Wednesday in hopes that it will uh, put pressure on the state's Republican-controlled legislature to consider a sweeping package of gun control laws. Uh, this time, a combination of pressure from the public, President Trump, could spur um, at least some changes in the country's gun laws. In fact, we'll talk uh, momentarily about some that he's already uh, suggested making. The White House has said the, pre- the uh, president backs efforts to improve the country's background check system. His involvement could be the nudge uh, that uh, Congress needs in this divided uh, uh, well, Congress on virtually every issue. Lawmakers are grappling with a plan of action. Uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School plans to reopen in phases starting this Friday. And of course, you open in areas where the shooting didn't impact and then try to reintroduce students back in. But we'll uh, continue to follow what uh, what happens at this rally. On Wednesday, This is a, a problem that adults need to address. And these kids are saying, look, it happened to us at our school. We demand, we insist that something be done this time around. And my hope is that something constructive is done and not just something that sounds or looks good, but that they'll really do something to make a difference here. Meanwhile, uh, President Trump uh, on Monday followed other Republican leaders in questioning why the previous administration failed to act on the intelligence that Russian uh, Russia's meddling in the U.S. politics began in 2014. Obama was president up to and beyond the 2016 election. President uh, Trump is um, opining. So why didn't he do something about Russian meddling? Well, he tweeted last week a federal grand jury as part of a special counsel of Robert Mueller's a Russia collusion probe indicted some 13 Russians and... Uh, three Russian companies for allegedly interfering in the 2016 presidential election. And those uh, indictments reveal that Russians uh, also organized anti-Trump rallies after the election. They originally apparently focused on Hillary Clinton because everyone believed she was going to win. And the goal was to undermine confidence in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, uh, with his political leaders. When uh, Trump won, then it shifted to undermining his leadership. Uh, Anyway, the Trump-Romney feud is over until, well, next time President Trump gave his full-throated backing of the 2012 Republican presidential nominee, Mitt Romney, on Monday, saying Romney's bid for a Senate seat uh, from Utah has my full support and endorsement. Wow. The president's tweet suggested he may have buried the hatchet, at least temporarily, with the GOP foe who called Trump a phony and a fraud in 2016. Trump wrote Monday evening that Romney will make a great senator and worthy successor to the retiring Orrin Hatch. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: 22 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Olympic Games continue, and boy, NBC has not had a good time of it. Um, their coverage has been getting, uh, getting very low ratings. Did you watch any of it over the weekend, Clark? I know that you, uh, you have a couple of favorites. Did you have the chance to watch anything? Uh,
0: yeah, we saw some. What would you watch? Um, we saw the ice dancing, which was kind of cool. And
1: what's the difference between ice dancing and figure skating? Is it the same thing?
0: No, it's not. Ice dancing is actual like dancing on skates, whereas with figure skating, you're doing a lot of the jumps and the acrobatic. Mm-hmm. Um, lifts twist. and all of that. Yeah. Well, they do some lifts as well in ice dancing, but, you know, they're not doing the all the different the, – the triple axle or the – It's not as axel.
1: athletic maybe?
0: Well, no, it's still athletic because they're having to dance while they're on skates. They're just not—they're not doing all the jumps.
1: Yeah, the more challenging It's more artistic. I just haven't gotten into the Olympic Games this this time around. I've heard that from a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. There's just so much going on. It was hard to find things that you might be interested in, at least at the times I was available to watch. Honestly, unless you're
0: watching before 8 o'clock— or even on some of their other NBC stations, Uh, the general NBC primetime coverage, I think, has been really lackluster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as North Koreans return home this week from the Pyeongchang Winter Games, uh, possibly without any medals, uh, there's concern about what their fate might be. Olympians hope to avoid the gulags. It's a fate the losers in the 1966 World Cup. Are believed to have experienced. Now, this is 2018. 1966 was a long time ago, but 22 North Koreans participated in the 2018 Olympics uh, with the support of the nation's hand picked cheerleading squad that was well choreographed, not just a hair creepy, for the regime's ninth. Um, uh, representation in the Winter Games, competing in figure skating, skiing, ice hockey as part of the joint team with South Korea. The country's failed to meddle in any event, surely disappointing leader Kim Jong-un, who's probably busy tinkering with his nuclear weapons, but his family allegedly sentenced uh, the failed World Cup uh, athletes to concentration camps for their loss. So let's hope that the uh, uh, 2018 uh, competitors, this time around from North Korea, will not see a similar fate. Well, uh, the president earlier today, in other news um, that has captured the nation's attention, as the uh, leaders across the country, whether we're talking about legislators or members of Congress or uh, the executive, are Uh, Grappling with what to do in response to the latest school shooting, President Trump today, he directed Attorney General Jeff Sessions to craft new regulations to ban firearm modifiers, including the bump stock, which wasn't used in this event, but was in Las Vegas uh, in that massacre, with bipartisan calls to strengthen gun laws in the wake of the recent shooting rampages. Well, during it, he also announced that he's meeting with a number of leaders, students, teachers, uh, other leaders uh, to try to fashion a uh, response to this latest event. Well, during an event at the White House, the president announced he signed a memo ordering the regulations on bump stocks and told Sessions he wants new federal guidelines finalized very soon. He wrote in the memo, although the Obama administration repeatedly concluded that particular bump stock type devices were lawful to purchase and, and possess, I sought further clarification of the law, restricting fully automatic Uh, machine guns. Well, during the press conference today, as a press briefing, rather, the White House said, Uh, The president opposes the bump stock rifle modifier, which makes semi-automatic firearms fire faster. I can tell you the president uh, supports not having the use of bump stocks and that we expect further action on that in the coming days. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders Huckabee said earlier today, she added that the president had ordered the Justice Department and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives to review the regulations of bump stocks after a gunman opened fire on concert goers in Las Vegas in October, killing more than than 50 people. My understanding is that review has been completed and movement uh, will take place uh, very shortly, she went on to say. Well, in the wake of last week's school shooting in Parkland, Florida, that killed 17 people, Sanders said Trump plans to host parents, teachers, students on Wednesday to discuss efforts to ensure safety at our schools. Among those attending will be members of the Parkland community, those affected by the Sandy Hook and Columbine shootings, uh, the White House said liberals have renewed calls for new gun control measures after last week's shooting Trump who has backed uh, has been backed by the NRA during the 2016 election has expressed support for the Second Amendment and has said he's against reflexive gun control measures that wouldn't make a difference Sanders said the White House hasn't closed the door on any front and suggested the president would back improving the federal background check system saying the president has expressed his support for efforts to improve the federal background system and in the coming days we will continue continue to explore ways to ensure the safety and security of our schools meanwhile the state house in florida days after the parkland shooting on tuesday voted down a motion to make a uh, to take up a bill rather that would be a, uh, would ban so called assault rifles effectively killing the measure for this season the motion failed 36 to 71 again in the florida state house well, there is lots of uh, discussion about what kinds of solutions there might be in future. And while this might be effective, it is somewhat saddening to consider that this is the, ex- the length to which we must go to protect students in schools, banning any other, or rather barring any other uh, solution. Teachers are soon going to have access to advanced Army technology that will help prepare them for active shooters in schools. The heartbreaking school shooting tragedy in Florida has left many wondering what can be done. Well, the question on many minds is what if... Uh, Another school shooting occurs. I think most people believe that it will, given the fact that no changes have been made that can um, can prevent such a thing from happening and questions I think legitimate questions about how or if solutions can be uh, can be uh, arrived at. But teachers are soon going to be able to train and prepare to give their students the best chance of survival, we're being told. Quick action by teachers and the right action could potentially save innumerable lives. Dubbed EDGE, which is Enhanced Dynamic Geosocial Environment, the technology was built on Epic Games' Unreal Engine and provides a virtual training space. It's been adapted for school staff and uh, first responders to prepare for a shooter. In EDGE, teachers can learn, practice Practice and master how they can reduce the risks to the lives and maximize the chance of survival for their students. The Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate and Army Research Laboratory developed the technology and refined it with data from past school shootings to make the sim, uh, simulations as accurate as possible. Now, it's difficult to imagine how this kind of training could prevent Uh, the loss of life when someone enters the school and and opens fire. But nonetheless, this is a tool that's being discussed. And also the county sheriff in charge of investigating the mass shooting at Parkland, Florida, pled with lawmakers, um some, last week to give police and doctors more power to involuntarily hospitalize people for psychiatric evaluation over violent and threatening social media posts. The sheriff, Scott Israel of Broward County, described the accused shooter's social media posts as very disturbing at a news conference, and he asked state and federal legislators to expand the state's Baker Act, which says a person can be detained against their will for up to 72 hours upon certain circumstances. The accused uh, confessed to the shooting at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on Wednesday. He's been charged with 17 counts of premeditated murder. Well, the police, the sheriff, rather, said that baker uh, the Baker Act allows law enforcement or medical professionals to confine a person involuntarily, but you have to have a reason. You have to be able to articulate that they're a threat to themselves or a threat to someone else. And he pled with lawmakers in Tallahassee, the state capitol in Washington, to give police the power to detain people. If they see something on social media, if they see graphic pictures of rifles and blood and gore and guns and bombs, if they see something horrific— language. Um, If they see a person talking about, I want to grow up to be a serial killer. um, Again, this was a suggestion. I don't know that anyone's taking it up at this point very seriously, but nonetheless um, there are all kinds of efforts grappling with how to respond to these kinds of events that are very likely to happen again. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Amy Simpson. She's the author of Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: 35 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, according to some Christians, following Jesus means that we should be living a life of of full satisfaction. But how many of us actually experience that kind of life? Well, my next guest, Amy Simpson, wants to debunk this satisfaction myth in the church. After 40 years of walking with Jesus, she writes, I am deeply unsatisfied, not only with my ability to reflect Jesus, but also with the very quality of my intimacy with him. Here is a freeing confession for us all, and that is where true spiritual health and vitality reside. Well, the book is uh, titled, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual freedom in an imperfect world. Amy Simpson is an award-winning writer and the author of numerous books, including Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission and Anxious. She's also a life and leadership coach. She and her husband, Trevor, live in Illinois with their two children. She joins us today to talk about her book, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. Now, reading that excerpt from the back of your book might leave some of our listeners scratching their head. What do you mean by that? And in the book, you uh, quote a number of uh, televangelists, Kenneth Copeland and Joel Olstein and others, Joyce Myers, who uh, present a, a formula for Christian living that says, when you come to faith in Christ, you will be fully satisfied. And if your experience reflects something other than that, then there must be something terribly wrong with you
2: yeah exactly. and you know this is this is a common message. I think we hear from some high profile um, Christian leaders and 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 teachers. but I think we also at least in my experience, I hear it all the time in you know everyday um, conversations and in church services at at my church. you know um, I think it's just a very common message and, and and in some cases, you know we hear people saying sort of the, the, you know the prosperity gospel that you know if you are in a relationship with Christ, you'll get everything you, you want, you know, he wants to, he wants to make you rich or whatever. And for many of us, you know, we know that that's not true and and we can easily debunk that, but it's a lot, a lot harder, I think for many of us to recognize that that the same message is often out there when it comes to our emotional and um, mental health and our emotional lives, our experience, you know, our spiritual experience with Christ that, You know, we're not actually promised complete fulfillment and satisfaction in those areas either, but for many people, you know, we're constantly striving to attain that.
1: You write that the trouble is, while knowing and following Jesus has its priceless rewards and leads to complete satisfaction, it won't deliver on this promise now. Sometimes obedience makes a person miserable. Sometimes it leads to suffering or even death. Yes, a relationship with God can bring comfort, peace, and even joy in such circumstances, but it may not be—it may not bring satisfaction or happiness, at least in complete and lasting forms. Let's talk about, uh, let's define our terms and w- what we're talking about uh, when we use the word Satisfied, and you dry, draw a distinction between um, uh, unsatisfied and what's the other uh, version of that word? Uh, dissatisfied. dissatisfied.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like this is an important distinction because you know what I'm talking about is not that you know we're, we're blessed and we sh- if we're dissatisfied and we should be expect you know God to to bless us in a dissatisfied condition. Which the way I define that really is. Um, you know I, I, I expect to be satisfied, and I'm not being satisfied. So my expectations are not being met, therefore i'm you know, I'm dissatisfied. And this can lead to anger, it can lead to a, a, you know a feeling of emptiness and and sort of a constant disgruntled <laughs> uh, condition. and And so that's I think different from what I'm talking about with unsatisfaction. you know, being unsatisfied, recognizing I have these needs and desires. I have a longing for more but I don't expect those things to be fulfilled here and now. So I, I can acknowledge those desires without demanding that they be satisfied right now and live in anticipation, knowing that someday they will be. You know, we will live in Christ's presence, which will be a completely different experience from what we can, what we can experience in our relationship with Him now.
1: Now talk about this notion of being unsatisfied in the context of contentment, of which, which we are told we ought to be.
2: Yeah, I, I think often the the question of, you know, what's the difference might come mm-hmm. up in people's minds isn't isn't being satisfied and being content the same thing. And, and I don't I don't think it is. I think if you you know, we were to think of it in a different context, if we're to think of it in terms of maybe um, I place an order online, I place an order on Amazon. And I got my order and not everything I ordered was there. You know, I got a box in the mail and only half of my order was there. Well, I'm not going to be satisfied with that order, but I could choose in that situation to be content with what I have. So satisfaction really in, in my definition in this book really is, you know, we don't need or want anything more. And contentment is a matter of deciding that what we have right now, we're going to be okay with, you know, even if it's not everything we want, even if it's not everything we need. And, you know, for many people, I think there's an assumption that in order for me to be content, I have to be satisfied. But it's actually kind of the opposite. You know, if we were fully satisfied, if we had everything we want, everything we need, if our spiritual condition really were completely satisfied, we would have no need of contentment. There would be no reason for us to decide, you know, I'm going to be content with what I have. It, it would never even come up because we would have no, um, there'd be no gap between our reality
1: and what we long for. What you're describing seems to me to be an eternal perspective that in the broader context of the walk of faith, not only includes life as we know it now, but the life to come and the promises that have been made about uh, what we can anticipate.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, that what I'm talking about here as far as living an unsatisfied life is not a matter of lowering our expectations of God. (laughs) You know, it's actually raising our expectations of God and and not deciding, you know, well, I guess this is all I'm going to get, you know, I guess this is as good as it gets. No, it's actually living with that eternal perspective, like you said, and recognizing it gets much better than I can even long for or imagine right now. And so I'm going to live in anticipation and in hope of that, of what's to come, that someday all those, you know, my hunger and my thirst really will be satisfied and I will live in the presence of Christ.
1: Let's talk about what God wants for us. If if satisfaction on earth, all of our, our desires and interests being met and, and are being satisfied, what ultimately is, uh, is it that God wants for us, if it's not our complete and utter happiness?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, when we look in Scripture, what we see is um, a, a God who wants us actually to, to want to be in closer relationship with Him, who wants us to desire His glory, um, to live in pursuit of of what he wants and to, and to join him in his plans, you know, rather than asking him to fulfill our plans, (laughs) he wants us to, to bend our lives and our will around his. And often we're expecting, you know, if we say, you know, okay, I'm in a relationship with Christ now, um, you know, all my wishes and dreams should be fulfilled and I won't need or want anything more. And and I, I just expect God to completely satisfy all my emotional and spiritual needs. We're really asking Him to bend around us and to, um, to sort of enter into our experience at, at the level at which we can experience Him and make that all we want. And I think God actually wants us to have a much bigger view of Him and to bend ourselves around Him and to recognize there's a there's a plan and a and a purpose and and. A, a picture that is much bigger than what we can see right now. And I'm going to join God in that and, you know, see what he does and have that eternal view and, and want more, you know, long for more. And I'm not talking about wanting more in terms in a materialistic or a consumeristic Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really talking about wanting more of what God offers us. And ultimately
1: that is a relationship with him. I'm reminded of the, the uh, mandate to take up your cross daily to follow him, it, it suggests that there are things that we might want that we're going to have to deprive ourselves of in favor of um, much more than we could uh, acquire or maintain on our own. It, it suggests that being unsatisfied with things that might you know, make the flesh feel great um, in favor of a deeper walk with him um, is what we're being called to.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's a great C.S. Lewis quote, and I'm not going to be able to quote it verbatim right now, but, um, you know, he basically talks about how we are expecting to, we think we might think we're expecting too much of God, but we're actually expecting too little of Him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're contented, contenting ourselves to make mud pl- mud pies in the slums, you know, rather than taking lifting our eyes to this wonderful, you know, spiritual feast, that God has to offer us, we settle for the the cheap substitutes. And ultimately, when, when we do, you know, we're really only hurting ourselves. You know, this is not not that God, you know, doesn't want us to have a good time or doesn't want us to enjoy our lives. I think we can very much enjoy our lives and still acknowledge I am not a fully satisfied person, but refusing to try to fill that gap with those those cheap substitutes that then only – you know, hurt us, drag us down, or distract us from an uh, eternal perspective.
1: We're talking this afternoon about the book titled Blessed Are the Unsatisfied. My guest is Amy Simpson. She's the author also of Troubled Minds. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with uh, Amy Simpson. She is an award-winning writer and the author of numerous books, including Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission, and Anxious. She is also a life and leadership coach. She and her husband live in Illinois with their two children. As I mentioned, you have written um, two previous books so far. How does uh, your current book, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, connect with uh, both Troubled Minds and Anxious, your two previous books?
2: Yeah, you know, my my publisher um, actually said one time, you know, you tend to write on matters of the mind. (laughs) And, you know, I think these are matters of the heart as well. But when you look at troubled minds and, you know, talking about mental illness and the church's mission, you know, this book is not a book directly about mental health problems. At the no. same time, there's a lot in here that does talk about how our minds tend to work, how our our thinking influences our behavior, you know, what's good for us, not only um, physically, but mentally and em- and emotionally. So I, I continue to sort of write on those themes. But also, I think one of the things that is important here. Um, is that these all three of these books are very honest about our condition <laughs> you know that and and all three of them really tend to challenge the idea that our, we should expect our lives to be wonderful all the time that we should expect that we don't suffer as Christians or at least we don 't suffer in really terrible ways in chronic ways you know in ways that that we don 't have the answers for um, And so this is another book that really acknowledges some of those realities. And I think we'll we'll connect with a lot of people who have that kind of hardship in their life. Uh, You know, a situation like a mental health problem that sort of forces you to uh, face up to some of that reality. It doesn't really allow you to live with the illusion that the Christian life is everything we want it to be here and now. So I I think it, it sort of connects in that sense as well.
1: Is this expectation um, uniquely American uh, phenomenon, or are we seeing this elsewhere as well? I mentioned a few televangelists whose message consistently says that our expectations ought to be lofty, that life is going to be essentially a bed of roses with very few challenges. Is that uh, uniquely American? You know, it's sadly, I I don't think it is,
2: and especially if you look at um, the growth of the prosperity gospel, specifically in in Africa, you know that that has really um, the, that movement has really exploded there, and uh, there aren't aren't a lot of places in the world where um, you have more contrast between um, the level of material comfort and you know just prosperity as between here and, and many places on the continent of, of Africa, you know, I think this is really a human a part of our human nature that we want our lives to be fulfilling. Um, we, we know somewhere in the core of our being that this is not the kind of world we were made for. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that we were made for the world God initially made. And we know things are not the way they should be. So I think we all long for the world we were made for. And it's comes naturally to us to try to find that for ourselves now, or maybe create that for ourselves now. Now, I do think that the way this looks for Americans is, is probably different than it does in many other parts of the world. You know, the the kinds of things that we're hoping for, the kinds of things that we believe will sort of create that for us may be different, but I do think that that tendency is, is just very human, um, it just might look different yeah, <laughs> in yeah. different places and at different times.
1: Now you tap in your book, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied. You tap in uh, to some research that affirms what your um, what your thesis is. Talk a little bit about what research tells us.
2: Um, yeah, so one thing is, and I'm not sure if this, if this is specifically what you have in mind, but that research has told us that people who get what they want, um, such as specifically money, um, people who win the lottery, for example, are often the most miserable people among us, <laughs> or people who come into some other windfall of money. I think it's 75 percent of people are bankrupt within um, f- a f- five-year period after coming into a huge windfall of money. Um, and and pe- pe- person after person, if you go out and look up, you know, stories about people winning the lottery, they'll they'll tell you it made them miserable. It basically ruined their lives. Um, And there are a lot of other stories out there like that too, of people getting what they want and then finding it did not deliver what they thought it would. Um, You know, and if we're talking specifically about money, uh, research has shown that people's happiness correlates with money, um, you know, with having more money if they're being lifted out of poverty. But after that point, it really doesn't. In fact, they've, they've found that the optimal salary for people is about seventy five thousand dollars a year and once you've reached that point any additional money does not make you any happier in fact sometimes it can make you more miserable because it gives you more to worry about um, it diminishes the the pleasure and satisfaction people take in um, things they would otherwise enjoy um, because their the, the novelty is gone so there are there it's very interesting to look into the research that's being done on happiness, you know, on money, on what happens to people when they actually get what they're longing for. And those are tr- Those things are true for us, not just with money, but emotionally and spiritually as well. When we focus on something that we think is going to deliver ultimately what we want and then we actually receive it um, that's when we really find out the limitations Mm -hmm. of what we may have built our lives around. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You write about sustainable faith. Can you define what that is and, and why that's important?
2: Yeah. Sustainable faith. You know, if you think about the idea of sustainability in, in other realms, um, maybe specifically in, in agriculture, you know, you, you, we hear a lot about sustainability and it's, it's really the idea that what we're doing can continue to function for an indefinite period of time and can work well without a lot of extra intervention to try to make that work. So, you know, we want agricultural systems that recognize what kind of soil we have to work with, what kind of rainfall we have to work with, what kind of crop tends to grow well in this part of the world. And then we build, you know, an agricultural system based on that. And if we're trying to grow raspberries in, um, you know, Maine or something um, versus trying to grow raspberries in um, Mexico, (laughs) you know, one is going to work a lot better than the other. We're going to find ourselves um, probably creating some unsustainable systems. We tend to do the same thing often with our faith, you know, propping up our faith with things that don't really stand the test of time or they don't stand the test of circumstances. So when I talk about sustainable faith, what I'm talking about is building a faith that is able to acknowledge the realities of life without, you know, extra props having to keep our faith intact. Like um, I can face into the reality that I am going to suffer. You know, my faith is able to stand the test of suffering. It's able to stand the test of um, Uh, social pressure, you know, or maybe rejection from other people. Um, It's able to stand the test of conflict within my church or within other relationships. And and really, ultimately, the kind of faith that is sustainable is, in part, the kind of faith that is able to live without satisfaction, because all of those circumstances are going to challenge our sense Mm -hmm. of satisfaction. And our our faith is able to weather those circumstances when we have a faith that is honest about that.
1: Again, the title of the book, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World. Amy Simpson, thank you so much for talking with us.
2: Thank you. I appreciate the conversation.
1: By the way, the book is published by Inter Varsity Press and is available in bookstores. Uh, coming up, we've got... Um, well, news and traffic at the top of the hour, and I'm sure about one, two minutes after five, the snow will begin falling where we are. At this point, from what I can tell, there's nothing falling from the sky at all. So we might just make it home tonight, uh, Clark. We'll have to wait and see. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, we're back. Welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show, six minutes after five o'clock. So where's the snow, Clark? I see nothing. It's actually raining out here. Now, Clark assures me that once the sun goes down and the temperatures drop, then the snow will stick. But there actually has to be snow falling for that to happen. At least where we are, kind of in the uh, in the valley between Milwaukee and Portland, there's nothing, honey. I know it's kind of a creative use of of, uh, language didn't make any sense, but we'll just call it that. Uh, This hour, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Lois Anderson, although I wish she and I were talking about something else altogether. But she is, of course, the executive director of Oregon Right to Life, and House Bill 4135 was passed out of the House and is now set for a Senate hearing in the Judiciary Committee tomorrow morning. She's going to bring us up to date on that legislation. And it, of course, has to do with Um, the uh, incapacitated and who will make decisions on uh, their end-of-life care and whether or not nutrition and hydration can be withheld under certain circumstances. We'll talk with her about that and what uh, Oregon Right to Life is suggesting those who are concerned do to try to influence the outcome of this hearing and ultimately the uh, legislature as this is fast-tracked Uh, through the House and now is in the Senate. We're also going to talk with uh, Carol Ewing. She's a Preschool 4's lead teacher and music instructor at Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, one of the schools, uh, and that's in Beaverton, by the way, that is currently offering a discount in tuition. You can check them out at kpdq.com for all the details. But we are featuring a number of Christian schools from our community, and they are extending an opportunity to save a little money in uh, planning for uh, next year's education. So we'll talk with Carol about that when she joins us later uh, this uh, this hour. Well, a lawyer connected to former um, Trump campaign advisor Rick Gates pled guilty today um, to a charge of lying to investigators as part of the special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia probe. Alex Van Der Zand, uh, was charged by Mueller's team with making false statements to investigators in an interview about his time working for a law firm hired by the Ukrainian Ministry of Justice in 2012. Now, when he helped produce a report on the trial of Ukrainian politician Yuli, last name I will not um, butcher, according to the Washington Post, Vanderzon, Der Zahn, uh, is the son-in-law of Russian oligarch German Khan. Uh, that firm... Um, Told the Associated Press that it fired Van Der Zahn last year and has been cooperating with authorities. Well, the New York Times reported in September that the Justice Department had requested documents from the firm related to its work in Ukraine on behalf of the governor government rather of Russia-aligned President Viktor Yanukovych. Well, the Times reported that the uh, report to the New York Times-based firm drafted was used to justify the jailing of a political rival uh, in Russia. Well, Van Der Zahn is accused of lying about his last communication with Gates, who was indicted in October, along with former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. On charges related to their work in Ukraine years before the presidential campaign, well, Van Der Zahn pled guilty to the charge Tuesday afternoon. It was made clear in court that he had uh, been cooperating with Mueller up to that point. Van Der Zahn faces up to six months in prison and a fine of ninety-five hundred dollars. He um, uh, his sentencing is set for April. The Third, meanwhile, House Intelligence Committee Republicans have launched Phase two of their probe into or the origins rather of the unverified anti Trump dossier firing off an inquiry to a host of current and former officials, including former FBI Director James Comey, in a letter obtained by Fox News and CNN Committee Chairman Devin Nunez. He posed a, a string of dossier-related questions to current and former intelligence, law enforcement, and State Department officials. He specifically wants to know when they learned the document was funded by Democratic sources and how it was used to obtain one or more surveillance warrants at the, the Secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, or FISA. In February 20th, a dated letter, he even threatened to issue subpoenas to get the information. If you do not provide timely answers on a voluntary basis, the committee will ind- uh, will initiate compulsory process, he wrote. Well, he, uh, with cooperation from the White House earlier this month, released a controversial memo alleging the anti-Trump dossier compiled by former British spy Christopher Steele and funded by the DNC and Hillary Clinton uh, campaign, was crucial to the application for a surveillance warrant against Trump associate Carter Page. Democrats have called the memo misleading and want to release a memo of their own, though they've... Uh, Uh, been delayed by national security objections from the White House. Amid the firestorm, uh, the chairman of the committee says this month uh, that his committee would pursue phase two of that investigation. He suggested this would include scrutinizing the State Department and other agencies. Well, this new letter indicates a dozen uh, questions, or rather includes a dozen questions about the dossier, including how the officials in question learned of the document's Democratic funding and whether they held meetings about the unverified allegations against Trump or took any other official action. Uh, The uh, questionnaire went out uh, to about two dozen current and former officials. Among them were Comey, former director of the National Intelligence, James Clapper, and former CIA director John Brennan, who testified in May of this, uh, last year rather, that the Trump dossier was virtually unknown to him. I have no awareness, Brennan said, uh, when asked by GOP Representative Trey Gowdy if the FBI ever relied on the dossier as part of any court applications. Well, the newly released uh, GOP memo, not so new now, it's been a few days, Says the FBI and Justice Department relied heavily on the Trump dossier and downplayed its democratic roots. Well, a source close to the investigation isn't ruling out the possibility that more officials could be questioned as the next phase of the probe continues. Perhaps anticipating this uh, phase of the investigation, an o- Obama State Department official earlier this month acknowledged he had regular contact with the dossier's author. He said he shared more than 100 of Steele's reports with the Russians, uh, with a Russian expo- expert, rather, at the State Department over a period of two years. Uh, these weren't related to American politics, but he would later share information about the Trump dossier with the top levels of the Obama State Department. Further, Weiner said that he shared separate Trump, uh, Trump-related material passed on by a Clinton contact with Steele, and he acknowledged that material originally from Clinton tied activist journalist Cody Shearer made its way to the FBI. In publishing his op-ed, Weiner wrote that he suspects Nunez wants to know about his own relationship with Steele while at the Obama State Department. So the... Uh The investigations, the probes continue. Well, last week, a federal grand jury in the District of Columbia on Friday indicted 13 Russian nationals, three Russian entities accused of interfering in U.S. elections. They're accused of having a strategic goal to sow discord in the United States political system, including the 2016 presidential election. The 37-page indictment was signed by special counsel Robert Mueller. There are rather they are accused of spreading derogatory information about democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton, denigrating Republican candidates Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, and supporting Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders and then-Republican candidate Donald Trump. It says the defendants spread derogatory information about various candidates throughout the 2016 campaign, and by early to mid-2016 were supporting Trump's presidential campaign. The indictment said the defendants uh, purchased political advertisements on social media in the names of U.S. persons and entities. It also accuses them of staging political rallies inside the United States while posing as U.S. grassroots groups, Some U.S. celebrities were actually uh, part of those uh, events. According, unwittingly, by the way, according to the uh, special counsel, the indictment charges the defendants with conspiracy to defraud the United States, three defendants with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud, and five defendants with aggravated identity threat, uh, theft. Rather, The three ent- entities uh, charged with Internal Research Agency, LLC, Concord Management and Consulting LLC and Concord Catering. The 13 Russians charged um, uh, are not in the United States, and uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is scheduled to hold a press conference or um, did hold a press conference to explain. Those issues. Finally, the Supreme Court is scheduled to return to Washington uh, next week after nearly a month off. The justices will hear a number of important oral arguments, including cases involving free speech, public employee unions, and digital privacy. On February 26th, the court will hear the arguments in one of the most anticipated cases of the year Janus versus American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, Council 31. This case involves forcing public employees who opt out of union membership to pay a fee for. ...for the fair share of costs associated with collective bargaining... Then there's the digital privacy case. On the 27th, the Supreme Court will hear arguments in United States versus Microsoft Corporation. This case deals with whether the Stored Communication Act applies to emails stored outside the United States. This federal law enhances the privacy of emails stored by third parties and allows law enforcement to obtain emails from providers after securing a warrant. Then there's the retaliatory arrest. On the 27th, the court will hear uh, Losman versus City of R- uh, Riviera. Speech. This is a Fane losman's second trip to the High Court. Uh, back in 2013, the court ruled that for him in his lawsuit to save his home, which is a boat, from seizure by the city as part of its plan to redevelop the marina where he resides. And finally, there's the free speech at the polls case. On February 28th, the Supreme Court will consider limits on passive political speech at the polls in Minnesota Voter Alliance versus Mansky. The state of Minnesota forbids people from wearing apparel with political messages messages at or near polling places on election day and violations which are subject to five thousand dollar fines and possible criminal charges include someone wearing a don't tread on me t-shirt and a please id me button up next we're going to talk with lois anderson sadly we're going to talk about the status of house bill 4135 we'll be back
0: you're listening to the Georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
1: We're back 21 minutes after 5 o'clock, and I have to confess the skeptic has been proven wrong. It is now snowing heavily here. Uh, at the studio. Although the ground's still wet, so it's not really sticking, but we'll see what happens next. Well, um, the portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. I have on the line Lois Anderson. She's the executive director of Oregon Right to Life. And quite frankly, I was hoping she and I would not have to have this conversation because this is a follow-up to the legislation we talked about a week or so ago, House Bill 4135. And an- apparently. Uh, The debate over this whole thing isn't over yet. It's not dead. In fact, it's uh, passed out of the House and is currently in the Senate Judiciary Committee. I asked her to join us to bring us up to date on uh, what's happening, what we can do to try to influence the uh, ultimate outcome of all of this. And Lois, I appreciate your taking the time to, uh, to talk with us today.
3: Uh, thank you for having me, Georgine. Even though you know, I too was hoping that we wouldn't have to be on the phone again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, for listeners who are not familiar with House Bill forty-one thirty-five, could you give a brief synopsis of what this is designed to do?
3: What forty-one thirty-five does is it changes the advance directive, which is a, a form that's available for people in Oregon to complete to let uh, to appoint a healthcare representative and then to. Either um, limit or not limit the kinds of decisions that that they're able to make. And the most important part of this is um, the end of the end of life decisions. Um, And it it provides the current one provides some very good protections for people who become incompetent for a variety of reasons. We've talked about dementia and Alzheimer's, but there are other. Uh, conditions or um, types of health incidents that would happen that would make someone not able to make their own health care decisions. And this is designed to expand the authority of a health care representative um, to be able to remove ordinary food and water. Now, of course, the bill, and we've talked about this before, the legislation doesn't state that outright. It's very complex. There is an interaction of, of statutes. And so it's very easy for people that are promoting this bill to say, oh, well, that's not really what it does. But we have spent many hours and a lot of time um, evaluating it and asking questions, and we believe as strongly as we did um, before we started this whole process, this, this session, uh, that this is what the bill will do. The the final outcome of this bill if it passes will be the ability for um healthcare representatives to make life ending decisions for people who are really not at the end of their life, who are just simply not able to make decisions for themselves. And so I know that's not very brief, but it's a con- it's no, it, it, it's complicated. It, yeah, it and, requires um, that time. <laughs> We're going through <laughs> COVID. So the reason why we're fighting it so hard is because this is a very vulnerable group of people. Um, some, many of your listeners uh, may have individuals in their families that they've gone through this kind of experience with, and especially for those that don't end up being in an authority uh, position and able to help make healthcare decisions. Watching a loved one um, be neglected or mistreated is really heartbreaking, but even more so for us, um, defending people that may or may not have a loving relative, friend, someone who's looking out for them, This is where the state and the law needs to step in and make sure that those people are also protected. And that's why we're
1: fighting so hard on this bill. So what what should happen? Is an amendment sufficient? Does this need to be killed in committee? What do you suggest?
3: it needs to be killed it needs to be stopped and whether that's um trying to get enough votes uh in the senate we just need a couple of of people to change their vote it has been voted on the senate before uh, but there's a couple of of um well there there's senator jeff cruz was one of the ones that voted for it and now he's not in the chamber Um, And so it's kind of and then there's a a Democrat, Betsy Johnson, from uh, kind of north of Portland area that that opposed it. Um, And so we have kind of a a different dynamic in the Senate and we think that we have a better opportunity to to stop it, um, whether that's in committee or or when it gets out to the floor vote. So the thing that's really important for people is just for them to contact their state senator. And they can find that out through our website or they can call the legislature. You can log, you can go on to the Oregon legislature website if you don't know who your state senator is. If you want more information on the bill, you can go to our website and find out. But it's just really important to get that message to your state senator that you want him or her to vote no on House Bill 4135. And especially if you have any personal experience. Um, With people that have suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's, um, including some of those experiences can be very helpful. They have a lot going on right now. And we need to get their attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My understanding is there's going to be a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing tomorrow morning uh, at 8 in Hearing Room 343. Beyond that, um, we can contact the, the members of that committee. And Oregon Right to Life has that posted as well. Senator Floyd Prasansky, yeah. Senator Kim Thatcher, Senator Cliff Bentz, Senator Michael Dembrow, um, Senator Sarah Gessler, Senator uh, Dennis uh, It's Lithicum and Senator (laughs) uh, Rob uh, Wagner. Uh, And again, I would highly recommend that you go to the Oregon Right to Life webpage. In addition to the update and information you need to know about how to respond right now, it's also uh, a great place to get an understanding of what's at the heart of this issue. And you uh, provide resources to explain it, I think, as thoroughly as is needed to fully appreciate how important this piece of legislation is. Uh, Are you optimistic that um, this time around we can prevent this from becoming law in Oregon,
3: it it's hard to be optimistic uh, just from the whole sort of tenor of this session. But um, we have stopped it against all odds in the past, and we just trust that um, God's in control and we are going to do our best, and the results are, are really up to him. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's what we can do our best and then trust him for the uh, for the rest. Well, I appreciate exactly. your, uh, your bringing us up to date on that. But before I let you go, I wanted to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know about Camp Joshua, uh, which is a great opportunity for uh, students age 16 to 21. Tell us about the camp and a deadline that's coming up.
3: Well, we do have a... a an application process and it's all online on our website. And uh, we do have a deadline on Friday. Um, if you would, are if you have a student that's really interested in going um, and you would like to contact us uh, to extend the deadline for, for a few days, we can do that because we do require um, references and sometimes those can be a little difficult yeah. to do, but it's a great program. It's four days. And um, we bring in a speaker, his name is Alan Schliemann from Stand to Reason, who uh, gives the students a really uh, great philosophical underpinning of the the pro-life principles and how to talk about them. We bring in other special speakers and experts on abortion techniques, on end-of-life issues, We do a couple of field trips that are really fun. And we always find um, there's always a lot of bonding that happens and networking with students that care about these issues from around the state. And uh, some of them we've even had, we actually have a couple that met at Camp Joshua. They got married and they're expecting a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So um, not guaranteeing marriage out of the situation, but it really is a, a great bonding time and a networking time. And uh, you will also have a Students for Life representative come in to talk to them um, about what they can do on their campuses. So it's just a really, um, it's intense and you do a lot of learning, but you also have a lot of fun. So I encourage anybody that's got a student in their life, um, in the age group, sort of older high school and first couple years of college to let them know about the opportunity and encourage them them to apply.
1: And again, you can go to the Oregon Right to Life uh, website for that information. Well, Lois, thank you for uh, for talking with us, and I hope our listeners will respond to this uh, issue. uh, House Bill 4135, details at the website. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Carol Ewing. She's a preschool four year old's lead teacher and music instructor at Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School in Beaverton. We'll tell you more about it and a discount in their tuition for some age group. So stick around.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this Tuesday afternoon. Well, I am delighted that we are featuring a number of Christian schools in our community and, along with that, uh, discounts on tuition. In this case, we're talking about Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, and they're currently offering a discount on tuition for 6th through 8th grade, um, and there's one of those discounts available. Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School enthusiastically provides students with a comprehensive curriculum in caring, Christ-centered community, preparing them to be compassionate, responsible leaders. And don't we need that kind of training for young people? The school seeks to serve with home and church in developing the whole child, their body, their minds, and their spirits, and this makes Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School unique. Here to talk with us about that is Carol Ewing. She's a preschool four-lead teacher and music instructor at Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School. She has about 25 years teaching experience, and we are delighted to have you here with us to talk about Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School. Welcome. Thank you, Georgine. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, for our listeners who are looking for private Christian education for their youngsters, tell us why Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School in Beaverton uh, should be considered.
4: Well, um, I have, like you said, I've been in education for 25 years. Pilgrim has been a school for 30, we just celebrated 35 years, Mm. and we offer small classes, so that gives us uh, the ability to give really good private uh, instruction for each of our children and be in tune with their abilities and their strengths um, to be able to help them be the best that they can be.
1: One of the things I think is important to mention is that students at uh, Pilgrims consistently test in the top 10% of their grade level uh, peers, and, and that's impressive.
4: Absolutely. It's it's really exciting to watch them as they um, go through Pilgrim and then after they leave and go on to high school. Uh, not only do they do well at Pilgrim because of, of very qualified teachers, but they also continue in high school and do very well um, in those subjects once they leave Pilgrim.
1: I know a lot of parents are, are interested and concerned about their, uh, the rigorous academic training that their sons and daughters are going to get in school. But in addition to that, Pilgrim really focuses on, it provides an ideal setting to teach the objective truths of God's Word. Talk a bit about the emphasis on the Christian faith, which puts Christian in the title of Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School.
4: Absolutely. Um, the thing that most impresses me about Pilgrim is the fact that our teachers every single day um, put Jesus into every subject. It's not just one class that the children take, but um, in each and every subject, we tie in God. We tie in Jesus. We tie in how to be kind friends, how to be good uh, leaders, how to be um students that uh, do the right thing in every situation. And so we teach them life skills, not only academic skills, but also things that will take them through each and every situation every single day um, and how to lean on God
1: for, um, for strength to do that. Tell us a little bit about the size of Pilgrim and the programs from preschool up to eighth grade. Right. Um, the
4: si- we have about 150 students. So we average about 15 per class. Um, We have one class of each grade. And um, we provide, for for a relatively small school, I feel like we we do a lot for our students. We we do art education. Of course, as the music teacher, we do provide a lot of music and, and the arts for them. We have a strong sports program. Um, We also offer Lego robotics. We have after-school care, so we're able to care for children um, for school and after school. For working parents, that's been a real draw to be able to have a safe environment for their children before school and after school. Um, We are very involved in Oregon Battle of the Books. Voracious readers abound Mm -hmm. at Pilgrim Lutheran, um, which is a you know, good strength for any subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, the curriculum is strong all the way from preschool all the way up through eighth grade. So, um, and then teachers collaborate with each other as well. So from grade to grade, we're able to, um, to build on what the students have learned the year before. And then carry that on into the next grade. So um, most of our teachers have been there fifteen years or more. So there's a there's a strong um,
1: there's a strong strength in our in our faculty. Yeah, I, I'm impressed as I uh, learn more and read about the, the faculty there, their dedication to these young people as they're growing up. It really is a community. It's not just a, a school. It really is a, a community. Now, I know that at Pilgrim, you encourage families, you invite them and encourage them to tour the school at any time during the application process, to ask questions, to meet and talk with teachers, discover what makes Pilgrim unique. For listeners who are interested in doing just that and also learning more about the current tuition discount that Pilgrim is offering, how do you suggest they connect?
4: They can call the school directly, uh, 503-644-8697. Talk to our principal, Sherry Lamb, or our marketing director, Wendy Rigoni. We're actually having uh, a kindergarten roundup the end of February, February 28th, and parents um, of interested students are welcome to come to that. Um, we're also open any time they can take a tour. Uh, teachers are available to ask, answer questions. They can come and visit a classroom if they would like and sit in on a class or two um, and just see what the, the community is like. I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel like we really are a community. Um, we like to minister to families as well as the students and we become vested in um, in the whole family as well as the student.
1: Again, that telephone number is 503-644-8697. You can also look them up online, pilgrimbeaverton.com, for more information about the school. And I think the website does a great job of filling in um, many of the blanks and answering questions about the kind of of. Uh, school, the kind of community that Pilgrim is. I mentioned that you've been uh, in the teaching profession for about 25 years. What draws you and keeps you at, uh, at Pilgrim as an educator?
4: You know, I talk to so many people who, um, who work, and for me, it's just a joy to go every day. I don't feel like I'm going to work. Um, the, the fun that we have in preschool when the children learn a new concept Or they they get something or they get an understanding of something is just such a joy and a privilege that i have as a teacher to be able to share that Um, we just finished a three-day competition with the middle schoolers and the the awards that they received for jobs well done in music and sports and academics Um, just it's so fun to be a cheerleader for them to see them use the gifts that God has given them and to use it to the best of their abilities. It's it's just fun. It really
1: is. Yeah, I know that Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School celebrates children as gifts from God with unique talents, gifts, uh, challenges, and dreams. And to bring that out of a child in an environment where they can flourish in body, mind, and spirit is the emphasis that you will find at Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School. And by the way, they're located in Beaverton. You can go to kpdq.com to find out more about the current uh, discount on um, uh, on tuition. But I would also encourage you to go to uh, Pilgrim's website uh, for more information about the school. And let me just uh, thank you once again, um, Carol, for the commitment that you make to children in our community, serving them well, teaching them well, so that they're not only uh, prepared academically, but they face um, life in the context of the Christian faith and can really make a difference in our community and in our culture. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. My pleasure. And have a great evening. I hope you're uh, warm and safe and can avoid whatever this snow is going to bring us. (laughs) Yes,
3: we shall see.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Carol. (laughs) Again, uh, talking about um, Pilgrim uh, Christian School, a great opportunity for you and your family in the Beaverton area. Once again, that phone number uh, that you can call for more information is 503-644-8697. And they have a kindergarten roundup coming up later this month. So check that out or go to the website, pilgrimbeaverton.com. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, I am really looking forward to talking with uh, Albert Moeller. He's the author most recently of The Prayer That Turned the World Upside Down. And while you might be wondering which prayer is he referring to, the subtitle, The Lord's Prayer, A Manifesto for Revolution. And of course, um, most people see the word revolution in political terms. Of course, he's writing in a very different way. We're going to talk with him about The Prayer That Turned the World Upside Down. Albert Moeller will join us uh, tomorrow. And we're going to continue our conversation on local Christian schools that are currently offering discounts so that you can uh, perhaps realize a dream that you thought unattainable. Uh, we're going to focus on Clackamas Christian uh, when uh, they join us in studio tomorrow as well. So looking forward to that conversation. And then on Thursday, we're going to talk with Thabidi Anaya, with Anaya Bual. I'm going to have to work on that between now and then. Uh, his book is titled The Gospel for Muslims, An Encouragement to Share Christ, Uh, With Confidence, the book is published by Moody, and uh, we'll uh, have an opportunity to hear his insights on that very thing when he joins us tomorrow. And then on Friday, we will lighten things up. Well, Black Panther is currently the number one box office smash in theaters and one of the actresses in that movie. Do you still call women actresses? I heard an interview um, uh, this weekend, and uh, the two, the interviewer and the person who was being interviewed addressed it differently uh, she was and uh, was addressed as an actress, but she said her mother was an actor. I'm not sure quite uh, what the uh, what the rule is there now. But anyway, um, Letitia Wright, she is uh, one of the stars of Black Panther. She turned to her faith. Uh, when she says that acting became, for her, something of an idol. Her name is Letitia Wright. She's a, uh, rising to fame after starring in the blockbuster Black Panther. Uh, but the Christian actress uh, once had to take uh, take a break from acting, she says, after realizing that her career was becoming an idol. Now, this is interesting to me. How does one um, recognize that what you're doing has become... Uh, more than it ought to be in terms of your priorities. Well, she plays Princess Shuri. She's the little sister of King T'Challa, the main character of Black Panther. And before the uh, breakout role, uh, the Guyanese-born British actress starred in films like The uh, Commuter and Urban Hymn, along with uh, UK shows Top Boy, Doctor Who, and Humans. I'm not familiar with any of them. Maybe you are. But there was once a time when uh, she struggled with idolizing acting, which made her take a break and focus on her Christian faith. Now, you have to admire someone who recognizing I've got my priorities um, out of uh, out of order and therefore I'm going to step away and I'm going to try to get myself together. Uh, She's quoted as saying I was going through a lot a very difficult time in my life and I just needed to take a break from acting because I really idolized it. So I came off from it and I went on a journey to discover God and my relationship with God and I became a Christian. Uh, She was speaking to um, ITV in the UK uh, earlier this month. She went on to say, it's really just gave me so much love and light within myself. I felt secure and I felt like I needed validation. I didn't need validation from anyone else or from getting apart. My happiness wasn't dependent on that. It was dependent on my relationship with God, end quote. Well, the actress said she is grateful for her faith, which continues to keep her, uh, her centered. I'm centered in who I am and I'm really grateful. I'm not perfect, she said, especially as a Christian, you're not perfect. But you're walking every day and trying... Uh, to just stay connected. And yeah, it's helped me a lot so I'm really grateful. She's been doing a great deal of uh, press for her latest film and also spoke about uh, God in a Variety um, uh, report earlier this month. She credited God with the reason her on-screen relationship with Black Panther star Chadwick Bossman worked so well. She said it was easy, and I'll, um, I'll try to tell you why. I feel like it was ordained, she said. I really, really feel like this is just a God thing. Even before I met him, I knew he was going to uh, play my brother, and apparently she uh, felt that that is in fact uh, reflective of their actual relationship. So, kind of an interesting look behind the scenes of a very popular movie uh, that's um, that's going on right now. A couple of things I want to remind you of this weekend um, is uh, the next mission connection defy the ordinary. This is a short term mission connection. That's fr- uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, and uh, the doors will open at um, eight a.m. on uh, Friday. Let me see. I don't have that right at. 7 p.m. on Friday for the plenary sessions and then uh, 8 a.m. on Saturday. It's a two-day event. Uh, to which you are cordially invited. They have a whole spate of, um, of conference workshops with two keynote speakers, uh, Michael McDonald and um, Reed Saunders, who's from uh, the local area here. Also, Dan Collins is going to be teaching on follow-through for short-term missions. Tori Rourke is going to talk about uh, it's worth the risk, risk and crisis in short-term missions. Paul Johnson will talk about preparing for cross-cultural ministry. Brian Stark, Beyond Logistics, short-term mission team, training for ministry. Ryan uh, Schlangen and Tim Cave are going to talk about the nuts and bolts of travel and insurance. Angie uh, Retman, church-based and field-driven partnerships that last. So you want to have uh, an endurance factor there. Doug Hazen is going to talk about uh, prayer walking where the enemy is entrenched. Brian Heerwagon, he's going to teach on um, short-term missions 101, understanding the seven standards. Um, Gunnar Simonson is going to talk about five things you can do to win at social media. Asher Sawyer, is going to talk about developing short-term missions uh, team leaders. Mike Bell on poverty, the cause, cure, and church engagement. And finally, Sean Stranigan, how to care for your host. And these are the workshops that are available for the upcoming short-term mission connection. That's Friday and Saturday uh, this weekend. So it's going to be a great um a great time of uh, going deeper into the subject of uh, missions. You can find out more at missionconnection dot com slash short term mission connection, and or just mission connection. There's a link there um, as well. So that's coming up. It's going to be at East Ridge Church here in Clackamas. There's also a pre conference on standards of excellence, uh, and again, all of that information can be found at mission and Connection is uh, spelled with an X. That's this Friday and Saturday. Also want to let you know about a benefit concert that's coming up. You're invited to join the folks in support of Stand Up Girl. Michael Allen Harrison is going to be the uh, uh, featured pianists, that's Friday, March the 9th at 7 p.m. at Canby Chapel in Canby, benefiting Stand Up Girl Foundation. Of course, StandUpGirl.com is that amazing pro-life website that is reaching girls all across the world. I've been to several presentations about the work they're doing, and I'm telling you, it is jaw-dropping impressive how they, in this very Simple ministry that was conceived right here in the Pacific Northwest, if it's Salem, Albany, and it is one of the, if it's not the most effective uh, pro life work going on around the world, reaching uh, those who desperately need um, help and then connecting them with local resources. Uh, for more information. Anyway, the benefit concert is coming up on March the ninth at Canby Chapel. Uh, you can purchase tickets online at standupgirlfoundation.org slash concert. Space is limited, so they're encouraging you to be in touch with them sooner rather than later. I want to invite you to join 93.9 KPDQ for a night of clean comedy with Johnny W. With his own mix of musical chops and offbeat stand-up, Johnny W. is going to bring a hilarious comedy experience for your whole family. It's happening on Saturday, March the 10th. That's at East Hill Church in Gresham. You can find out more, get your tickets now at kpdq.com or through the KPDQ mobile app. But It's just a great opportunity for you to enjoy Uh, some time of levity and laughter. And uh, we're also sponsoring on Thursday, April 26th, an amazing evening with one of Christian music's most enduring artists, Stephen Curtis Chapman. What a great singer-songwriter. You're invited to an evening with a man, his guitar, and his stories. Stephen will take you to the very heart of the stories behind his biggest hits. And even if you've seen uh, him before, you've never seen him quite like this. So make plans to join us for Stephen Curtis Chapman's solo at East Hill Church in Gresham. That's 7 o'clock p.m. Thursday, April 26th. Tickets available at you guessed it, KPDQ. Com. And finally, I just want to reiterate that in addition to uh, uh, the conversation you heard earlier today with Carol Ewick, who is um, uh, Preschool 4's lead teacher and music instructor at Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, there are a number of schools from across the uh, Portland metro area that are offering tuition discounts for your benefit. A Christian education, as you already know, for your child is possible. KPDQ listeners can save up to 40% on Christian school tuition. That's the case with uh, Pilgrim uh, for students in the um, age range that, uh, that's remaining. You can get the details on that at kpdq.com. Uh, schools include Cornerstone Christian Academy, Valor Christian School, North Clackamas Christian School. In fact, we'll be talking with them tomorrow. Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, we talked with them today. Holy Cross Catholic School, Guard Christian School, and Grace Lutheran School. Uh, we'll be adding new schools and new tuitions all throughout the month of February. So stay tuned. To get your discount, visit listenersavings.com. Calm. So uh, looking forward to offering opportunity to save a little coin as you're trying to educate your sons and daughters. Well, again, tomorrow we're going to talk with someone from Clackamas Christian, but we're also looking forward to a conversation with Albert Moeller. His uh, latest book is The Prayer That Turned the World Upside Down, The Lord's Prayer, a Manifesto for Revolution, uh, published by Thomas Nelson. Well, we are just about out of time, and of course, the uh, the snowstorm of 2018 that threatens to consume us all uh, is what uh, Clark and I are going to make our way out into trying to make our way home. Uh, well, we'll see what happens overnight. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great, great night.
0: Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast.